I want us to look at a passage of scripture that uh, Jeff has already read from Philippians chapter 1, giving you just a little bit of background on that scripture. You know that Paul uh, was in prison when he wrote this. This is one of his prison epistles. I believe that he was in Rome when he wrote this letter. Uh, as we see toward the end of Acts, that Roman imprisonment in which he was uh, actually in a, a rented house uh, under the guard of, uh, of uh, Roman soldiers. Uh, and he wrote this particular letter to the church in Philippi, a church that he had helped to form and found in uh, Philippi in northern Greece uh, a few years earlier before this had ever happened. As you well know, Paul uh, went to Jerusalem, was arrested there in Jerusalem, wind up in Caesarea for a period of a couple of years before he appealed to Caesar uh, because he was under threat uh, by the Jews uh, for his own life. Left and was shipwrecked on the way to Rome, but he wound up in Rome and had been in Rome now for a little while. I would guess that Paul has been in prison when he writes this at least four years. He's been incarcerated at least that long. Life was not what he expected it to be. He had actually written a letter to the Romans earlier from Ephesus saying, I want to come there. I want to be with you. I want to meet you. He had never really met many of the people in the church there in Rome. And he said, I want to come. And and the reason he wanted to come, I believe, is that he wanted Rome to be sort of a, a central place where he could launch a ministry even further west into Europe. And that was what he wanted to do. We know that because he, told, he tells us that in the book of Romans. But things didn't work out the way th- Paul thought they were going to. He even in, in Romans asked for prayer that everything, that he would be safe and he would be able to come in and meet with them. The Lord had different plans. And because of that, uh, Paul was arrested and spent that period of time in prison, not really knowing what his fate was going to be. He had appealed to Caesar. Do you know who the Caesar was? The emperor of Rome when Paul was in prison? Nero. Nero. Nero was in his 20s at this time. You know, I, don't, I, I never really thought of that. I read it when I said, wow, really? He was that young. And he was, uh, uh, I don't know if he was in total control of all of his faculties or not. I know that he was a fellow that... Uh, would be up one day and down the next and to appear before Caesar, you never knew how he was going to rule. And you'll see that in what Paul has to say. So he didn't know whether Caesar would be thumbs down or thumbs up uh, for him. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is Paul's first, in in the first part of Philippians, uh, uh, saying how thrilled he is to hear from the people in the church in Philippi. They had finally found out that Paul was in prison. They, they had sort of lost touch with him for a while, didn't know where he was. But when they found out where he was, they sent an elder, maybe the pastor of that church, a man named Epaphroditus, all the way to Rome from Philippi, about a 500-mile trip with a letter and with a gift. And uh, he was responding to that gift and that letter and their love with this letter writing back to them, telling them how much he loved them. They were very, very special to Paul. Uh, Philippians is a letter that uh, sort of takes you off guard. You would expect a man who's been in prison four years to be bitter and angry and and, and, uh, chomping at the bit, but he was not. He, He, in fact, wrote a letter that was full of joy and hope, 
a letter that was encouraging unity in the church. And so we see this passage of Scripture, this whole, really this first part, as one of, uh, of encouragement. And so early on, Paul just thanks God for them. And then in verses 20, uh, excuse me, 12 through 30, Jeff has already read, but if you will allow me, I'm going to read it again. I just want it to sort of sink in, and then we'll look at the text more specifically. Paul writes, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that, and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice because I know that this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance. And this is from God, for it has been given to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw that I had and now hear that I have. I have a friend named Steve Canfield. Steve is um, part of a ministry called Life Action Ministries. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of them or not. They do wonderful work throughout our country. But he was in our church a few years ago, and he stood before our congregation, and he said this, and it caught my attention. I thought, oh, I've never heard it put quite like that before. Steve said, my life purpose is to make Jesus look good. I thought, what an awesome way to put it. My life purpose is to make Jesus look good as a Christian. What is God's purpose for you as a Christian? Well, according to the word of God, his purpose for you is to conform you to the image of his son. 
The more conformed to the image of his son we are, the more like Jesus the world that we will be and the world will see that. So it makes sense to say my life purpose is to make Jesus look good. I believe that that's what Paul was saying in this text. Now that's not something that happens overnight as a Christian. As a matter of fact, in this very chapter, chapter 1, verse 6, look at, look at that with me, if you will. In verse one, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this of these, his friends in the church in Philippi, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who started a good work in you, you know, I don't know about you, that, but when I first became a Christian, I was a child. I had a lot of work. There's a lot of work to be done on me. But the older I've gotten, the more I've realized there's really a lot of work to be done on me. But the beauty of, of being one who is in Christ is this, that he who started the work, he started it. He will continue it, and he will carry it on to completion. Until the word of God says one day we will stand before him complete. Wow, I cannot imagine. But it is totally a work of the Lord in our lives through his spirit. So I want you to look one more time with verses 20 and 21 as Paul says this. And I think he's talking about his own, well he is talking about his own life where he has come, the fact is that the God who had started a work in the Philippians had started a work in the life of Paul as well. And he says this, knowing that he still has to face Nero, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, he said, living is Christ and dying is gain. Well, for one to be a believer, the word of God says that we, that we hopefully come to the understanding that Jesus is our life. He is our life. For Paul to say, for me to live is Christ. He also said, one, and, and, uh, he also said I, I am crucified with Christ. Remember, Colossians? I am crucified with Christ, he said. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's in Galatians, by the way. Christ lives in me. So he says, I want my life to be a Christ-honoring life. When people see me, I want them to see Jesus. So what, what I, I want us to think about for just a few minutes from the text that I've read is this. If, as Christians, our purpose is to make Jesus look good, what does my life, what does your life say about Jesus out there? 
So looking at this this morning, I want to, I want to give you five words. Five words that come from Paul's own writing about what a Christ-honoring life looks like. And there are five words that, that I garnered from this text as I looked at Paul's life. The first, life, the first word of this, this is what a Christ-honoring life looks like. It's the word attractive. You say, well, that is sort of a funny word to think of when you think about Paul. What do you think about when you think of Paul? What, what are some of the, uh, the adjectives or that, you, that you would uh, give when you think about Paul? And you can talk to me. It's okay. <laughs> what would you say? He was steadfast. Awesome. Intense. Intense. Yeah, who said that? That's good. Because that's, uh, that we, we think of Paul as being that kind of person, intense. And attractive is probably the last word in the world we would think of. But, but look at this. Look at this. Verses 12 and 13. He says, now I want you to know, brothers. Now he's in prison. He's been there for a while. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. I mean, I just love this because Paul is saying, you know, it's not turned out at all the way I thought it was going to. This is not how I planned it. And, and you may have thought when you sent Epaphroditus here that you're going to hear this sad story. But it hasn't worked out that way. It has actually worked out to the advance of the gospel. And he says, the whole imperial guard, the Praetorian guard, this was an, an elite group of soldiers. And as a matter of fact, these are, there were nine cohorts of them that would guard the emperor. They were the emperor's bodyguards. They were, they were the top of the top in the Roman army. And, and they, they lived in a barracks called the Praetorian. And somehow, Paul had become the talk of the guards of the Praetorian. Now, he had, he had some of them around him every day. And they would go back and they would talk about this man. And, and what Paul was letting them know was this. You know what? You may think I'm a prisoner of Rome, but I, I'm not. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 3, Paul said that exactly. And so he said, as a result of that, all of these have come to know, not only the guardians, but everyone else. And I assume that means the church that is there in Rome, because they were members of that of that body would come and, and visit with him. They've all come to know that the reason I'm here is because of Jesus Christ. Now, I think of Paul as being someone who is intense. We think of him as being, you know, focused and all that. Attractive is probably the last word you think of when you think of Paul, but for some reason, and we know the reason, the gospel, people were attracted to him. But there was something about his life. And I think, so, I think about a couple of people who were there in Philippi, who actually lived in Philippi, people to whom he was writing. Think about a woman named Lydia, who, who had a group of women on a, on a riverbank one day, and Paul and, and Silas and some others show up at the riverbank, and they begin to talk to her. And there was something attractive about them and their message, so much so that Lydia became a believer that day and allowed a church to begin in her home. 
I think about a jailer. We call him the Philippian jailer. Uh, a man who was in charge of Paul and Silas after they had been incarcerated, beaten. There was an earthquake. You remember the story in Acts? An earthquake. The, the shackles fall off. The, uh, the jailer was about to commit suicide because he thought all of his prisoners were gone. Had they been gone, his life would have been required. And Paul says, don't do that. We're all here. We're all here. And it leads to the jailer taking he inside, Paul and Silas, to his home, cleaning their wounds and lying in to minister to their family. There was something attractive. I tell you, and we say, yeah, it is the gospel. Paul himself writes in Romans for, for he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Jew first and then also Greek. Yes, the gospel is powerful and is attractive. But the question is, is it delivered through attractive vessels? And I think the question, the answer to that obviously is true for Paul. You know, we, we don't see everything. We don't see how he interacted with everyone. But there was an attractiveness to his life that drew people. Now, we think about that ourselves, and we think about how it is that we as Christians live our lives out there in front of the world. And I want to tell you that I don't know, um, I've been around a little while, I don't know that I remember ever in a time in my life when Christianity was under the kind of just flagrant attack that it's, that it's under right now. doesn't mean people were... Uh, not uh, opposed or uh, what are contentious about Christianity before, but now it's just out there, isn't it? I mean, it's just out there. And I think about that, and I think about why. Well, one thing is that the Word of God says it's going to happen. He says the world is going to hate you. But the other reason is because we haven't done such a good job as Christians in presenting the gospel. We have come across far too often is being harsh, judgmental, looking down our noses. I, I've had to tell people lots and lots of times, look, stop it. You're not the judge. There's only one judge, and it's not you. Now, that doesn't mean that we call sin anything other than what it is. It is sin. But you can do that in a way that you can, you can let people, we've got this awesome news. It's also news that Jesus went to the cross for us and everything happened at the cross. Our sinless Savior, he who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is an awesome statement. At the cross, that place, that meeting place, that holy meeting place between God and sinners right there at the cross. Sin forgiven. The penalty paid. Life eternal. And so much more. We've got awesome news. A Christ honoring life. Look, Jesus, Jesus was one who hung out with folks that his detractors say, what are you doing? You remember? He was a friend of sinners. We need to be too. 
So a Christ-honoring life, looking at Paul's own life, I would say first word is, is attractive. Attractive. The, the second word that I would use is that it is inspiring. I, I really struggle with what to call this, whether inspiring or encouraging. Both of those words would work. But you know what happened when Paul's uh, imprisonment became known through everyone that it was in the cause of Christ? It says here in verse, I think it's verse 14, most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. And then it goes on to talk about that. But because of Paul's life and because of the way that he conducted himself and because it it became obvious that the gospel was attractive to people that they would have never guessed the gospel would be attractive to. His life encouraged, it inspired other believers to the point that many of those, the scripture said, dared even more to speak the message fearlessly. They just got out there and they spoke the message. And he said, to be sure, there were some who proclaimed Christ out of envy and strife. He said later, they did so out of rivalry. They didn't do it sincerely. They wanted to cause him anxiety while he was in prison. I I don't know all about that, but I know ever since the church has been around, there there have been rivalries. I know that there have been been bitterness. There have been contentions. Oh, that's such a shame. But Paul wasn't worried about them. What he was worried about is that the gospel was being proclaimed. And even more so, that those, and he said, most of the brothers in the Lord have been, have gained confidence because of my imprisonment. And so his life was an inspiration to other believers. So let me ask you this from the first two. Is your life, is my life attractive to unbelievers? Is it attractive to the world in such a way that they would listen to you? I, I was standing outside before the service, uh, before your, your Bible teaching hour was over, and I was listening to Jeff, and I told him, well, I did a great, great job talking about evangelism, being proclamation evangelism, re- relational evangelism, and then corporate evangelism. I, I don't know exactly what Paul was engaged in, but certainly proclamation evangelism and relational evangelism were there. And his life was attractive. Is our life, are our lives attractive to unbelievers? Secondly, are our lives inspiring to other believers? We all know people that you look at and you say, oh wow, what's my life? I would love to be like that. I've got people like that in my life that I look at and I say, wow, look at them. I want to be like that one day. But inspire me to be better. Is your life, that kind of life, is mine. The third word I want to give. First word is attractive. Second, inspiring. The third word is going to be consistent. Going to verse 20 again, Paul says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything but that now, as always. I'm going to stop right there. He says, now, as always, he says, my life will highly honor Jesus. But he said, as always. Now, those are important two little words. Now, and he says, but as always. 
His life was consistent. With, with Paul, you knew what you were getting. And it didn't matter the circumstance. Paul is a perfect example of what it means to serve Christ through suffering. And he had suffered a lot. In, um, in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, he talks about, I, you know, I've learned the secret of being content, having a lot, having none. You know, all of these things that he had been through, Paul had suffered. And he's telling the church there, you know what, count it your life to suffer too. This is part and parcel of being a believer. And I don't believe it's necessarily just talking about suffering just because you are a Christian. It just means how do you handle suffering, period. You know, Paul writes in this passage of Scripture that suffering is a gift. It, it really, let me read it to you. Right there at the very, at the very bottom of the, uh, is verse 29, bottom of that chapter. For it has been given on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So here's the question that I would have there. Does your life vacillate with your circumstance? Do circumstances more dictate who you are than your relationship with Christ? How do you handle things when you suffer? I'm saying you, I'm talking to me too. How do we handle life when it goes in a totally different direction than we thought. Well, Paul was consistent, always the same. Now, we know that he suffered. We know that he was depressed. We know all of that because he wrote about it. But he kept on keeping on. So the third word is consistent. A Christ-honoring life is a life that consistently honors him no matter what. The fourth word is courageous. Courageous. Again, in verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, or with all courage, your version may say, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is another one of those that I sort of struggle with to, to, to come up with the right word. I said bold. Maybe bold was it. At first I said unafraid. Not right. Then I got to thinking, you know, that's not right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a little healthy fear. We're not going to be unafraid, but we can be courageous. Paul was courageous. And that boldness, that intensity was always there because he knew when he knew what he was supposed to do he stepped right into it you know I, I think that there's uh, far much too, far too much contention among Christians who think that we are not getting our rights or whatever it might be in this country I get a little sick and tired of hearing all the whining to be honest with you uh, we have known from the word of God from the very beginning that it's not going to be easy. But it is 
it is a characteristic of courage that says, that's okay. I'm going to walk into it anyway. And it doesn't mean walk into it with your, you know, with your sword unsheathed. You don't have to go fight. Go show them Jesus. Go show them Jesus. Now, when, when the cause of Christ, when the person of Jesus is slammed, what did he do? Well, sometimes he did not utter a word. Sometimes, particularly with the religious folks of the day, he uttered lots of words. It just depends. But I, I'm saying that I don't think we have to be contentious to be courageous. And so the words that we've looked at so far are attractive and encouraging, consist, consistent, and courageous. There's one last word, and is the word sacrificial. If there's any word that describes what a follower of Christ is supposed to be, it's sacrificial. If there's anything that looks like Jesus, it's sacrificial. It's the kind of life that says, you first. It's the kind of life that is not selfish. And why? That is really tough. Because we're all selfish. We come into the world selfish. Me first. I want mine. But we look at Paul's life. And we look at, we look at the very fact of what we've looked at here, that, that Paul uh, is in prison, but he says, you know what? It's worked out for the advance of the gospel. Even though things didn't go the way I wanted them to, look at what God is doing. And then he, he tells the, the, the people, he says, I love it in verse 21, he says, for me, living is Christ, dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. He's talking about life or death here. I don't know which one I should choose. I just, I just get a kick out of that. And he says, I'm pressured by both. Then he says this, I have the desire to depart and to be with Christ. That's what I want. And he said, which is far better. In the Greek, if it literally translated, terrible English that it translates to, but it says, which is much more better. And he said, if I had my way, it would be that I'd go and be with Jesus. But he, know, he, he knows that's not what God wants. And so he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Oh, I'm telling you what the world needs to see is sacrificial Christians, generous people. We are called to generosity, selfless, pouring ourselves into others. To me, it is the ultimate quality of Jesus. And so the question is, how much am I willing to give up in order to honor Jesus? One day, according to Philippians 1.6, he says, I, 
I'm convinced of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. One day, the good work will be done. But my encouragement to all of you who are believers in this room is to let the Spirit of God do the work that only he can do to carry you to completion. You can fight it. You can ignore it. And the world suffers for that. One day, you're going to stand before him complete. Why not let him begin to complete you now? When people look at you, what does your life say about Jesus? Years ago, there was a, a song that was sung in, in church and it, it was uh, the name of the song was You're the Only Jesus and the, the, the uh, chorus of that song was this it says you're the only Jesus some will ever see you're the only words of life that some will ever read so let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need for you're the only Jesus some will ever see. Is your life honoring him? Would you pray with me? Lord God, I, I thank you so much for the clarity of your word. I thank you for the servants through whom you spoke. Thank you for Paul, Lord. I thank you for the life of this amazing man we can look at he can instruct us. Father, I pray that our prayer will be like his. That our eager expectation and hope it is, would be that regardless of what's going on in our lives, that, that now as always can be said about us with all boldness, with all courage, that Jesus will be highly honored in our bodies, whether by life or by death. This is my prayer for us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name.